Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. When I found out I was going to be a parent, I immediately felt a lot of anxiety and worry. So I went on to BetterHelp to try to look for a therapist to help me with that. My relationship with my family and with my boyfriend and with myself were suffering. I really needed help. I was ruminating a lot. Really getting those thoughts out to a therapist and getting feedback was just life-changing. If you're thinking of giving therapy a try, learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. Hi, I'm LeVar Burton, and this is LeVar Burton Reads. In every episode, I handpick a different piece of short fiction, and I read it to you. The only thing these stories have in common is that I love them, and I hope you will, too. Well, y'all, thank you for joining me for another season of LeVar Burton Reads. I started out planning the season of stories as an antidote to the times. And as I started reading and reviewing, I just had to engage with this moment. And a different type of stories appealed to me. And then I had this voice thing, right, that happened when I was doing the live readings on on Twitter at the beginning of this COVID thing. In doing the live readings, I exhausted my voice and... Uh, it developed this sort of real raspiness to it. And I got very scared. And as soon as it was safe to, I went to a, a doctor, a specialist, an ENT guy, who gave me a COVID test. Um, and when it came back clear, he scoped my throat because my fear was that I had done some damage to my vocal cords. And as it turns out, I hadn't. But my voice was fatigued and he recommended to me a, a, a vocal coach whom I've been working with um, for the last several weeks. And so I, I believe everything happens for a reason, you know? I mean, everything happens for a reason. And even though I, I, I'm not quite sure why I'm having this challenge with my voice, what I do know is that I'm being required to unlearn years and years of what I have come to find out are bad habits. I am actually learning to relax and breathe more when I'm speaking and to allow the sound to come out rather than trying to force the sound, which has been my way for over 43 years of my career. So it's been weird. And as I said, it's been scary. But it's also kind of exciting because... I think I'm beginning to feel that somewhere at some point along this journey, I'm going to come into a new fullness of my voice. So all that to say, we have so many intentions that sometimes we just get waylaid and we have to just go with what it is. So this season seven, this is my season of surrender. I am surrendering to the what is, working with that which I can change, and understanding that there are so many things that are outside of my control, and I've just got to go with it, go 
with it until it takes me where it wants me to go. Because the it is always the inner soul, you know? So, it is what it is, folks. I genuinely hope that you enjoy this season and that you are able to hear through my process. And you may not even notice the difference. Um, I am hypercritical of certain aspects about me, and, and my voice is certainly one of them. But I hope through all of my process that you get all the love that I have for you and these stories and sharing these stories with you. And it brings me such joy to say that I'm reading another story by the great Amel El Mokhtar today. She is the author of The Truth About Owls, which I read way back in season two. And I'll talk more about what her work means to me and what it inspires in me at the end of this story. Amel is a writer of speculative fiction. Her latest book is a novella, co-authored with Max Gladstone, another author that we've read on this show, called This Is How You Lose the Time War. And in it, two agents, referred to only as red and blue, travel back and forth through time, altering the history of multiple universes, leaving each other secret messages. Now, that book has recently won a slew of awards, including the Nebula and Hugo Awards for Best Novella. Bravo, bravo, bravo. The story that I'm reading today is called Pockets and was published in Uncanny Magazine. And in a way, it is also about surrender. When your life is jostled and you can't seem to write it again, One of the ways that we cope is by interrogating, right? We want to know how this happened. We want to know when will it end. Well, our protagonist in this story continues to ask those very questions. So, if you're ready, for the first time this season, let's take a deep breath. And begin. Pockets by Amel El Mokhtar. The first strange thing Nadia pulled from her pocket was a piece of fudge. It was a perfectly ordinary piece of fudge. But Nadia hated fudge and couldn't imagine how she'd come to be carrying it around. She remembered this in particular because it was a bright, cool autumn day and she dug into her jacket pocket instinctively looking for change to leave in a busker's open violin case and had come upon the piece of fudge instead. After staring at it awkwardly for a moment, she dropped it into the violin case and hurried away before she could see whether the busker was scowling at her or not. She didn't think about the fudge again until a few days later when, fumbling for her wallet at the grocery store, her hand closed on an unfamiliar tube of lipstick 
It was unfamiliar in several respects. First, Nadia didn't keep lipstick in her jacket pocket. Second, on inspection, it was a bright light red that Nadia would never have chosen for herself, favoring plums and burgundies. And third, it just didn't feel like hers. Nadia knew her own things. She could pick out her nondescript, utterly generic black cloth suitcases from among the dozens piling up in airport luggage carousels purely by that feel of the familiar, that tug of touch of knowing its contours, its frayed threads and worn wheels. She'd never been anywhere with this lipstick. It was half-used, too. Nadia found herself imagining a complexion materializing around the mouth that had worn this color. Carnelian, she thought, in the absence of a brand name. She found herself leaning toward her reflection in a furniture store window, thinking to try it, but stopped, frowning, and capped the tube. She took it home, placed it in her bathroom, and found herself looking at it every morning while she brushed her teeth, wondering. The third strange thing Nadia pulled from her pocket was an antique map of Syria. It was rolled up tightly, and her cold fingers strained clumsily against its curling edges. By now, she was certain someone was playing a trick on her, slipping things into her pockets when she wasn't paying attention. She decided she was willing to play along for a while. She took the map home, rolled up and secured with a bit of ribbon, and placed it on her desk. After a moment, she went into the bathroom, retrieved the lipstick, and put it down next to the map. The fourth thing was a coin, old and worn. Whatever face or figure had been stamped on it was long faded. Nadia found it in the pocket of her jeans while reaching for her door key. She put it next to the map, arranging and rearranging the collection, sometimes standing the map up, sometimes laying it down with the lipstick in front of it, sometimes poking both lipstick and coin into the hollow cylinder it made. She wondered if she ought to have kept the fudge. Over the next few days, Nadia looked for clues as to who was playing this game with her. She tried to drop casual hints around friends who looked confused. When she tried outright asking if they were putting things in her pockets, they looked amused or offended. She stopped asking. The objects, she felt, were becoming more esoteric. She pulled out what looked like a pen made of bone from the pocket of a cardigan, a stiff bristle paintbrush from a flimsy decorative trouser pocket that should certainly have been too small for it, a single chopstick from an inside jacket pocket, an old-looking bath plug and chain from the pocket of her favorite dress, favorite heretofore because it had pockets, 
She arranged them all on her desk, making more and more space for them, feeling more and more helpless as the pile grew. One evening, as she undressed, she found herself pulling a gun from her trousers, a flintlock pistol, its lobed stock of dark wood ornamented with chased brass mounts. The gun smelled strongly of having just been fired. She decided to stop wearing pockets. Nadia walked along the river with her friend, only half listening to Tessa while breathing on her thinly gloved hands, rubbing them together in the cold air. She could see the moisture from her breath crystallizing on the gloves' loose fibers. When Tessa asked, Why don't you just put your hands in your pockets? She winced. I can't, she muttered. Tessa blinked. What? Why not? I... I sewed them shut. What? Nadia shrugged. They were tearing. It's not usually a problem. I have tons of gloves. I just thought it'd be warmer today. They were tearing on the inside, so you sewed them shut. Can we not talk about this? Said Nadia angrily. It's winter. My hands are cold. Whatever. Tessa looked like she'd been slapped and slowed her pace a bit. Nadia suddenly felt a stab of guilt, one that sank deep into her belly as she watched Tessa tug off her mittens, big woolly things Nadia had knitted her a year ago, and hold them out to her quietly. Nadia's eyes listened. I'm sorry, I, I just... I'm sorry, she said, taking the mittens and slipping them on. Thank you. You've been so distracted lately, said Tessa quietly. Just let me know if you want to talk about it, okay? Nadia said nothing for a long moment. If I tell you, she said, looking her friend in the eye, you have to promise to believe me. Tessa was a biologist in training. Nadia braced herself for the skepticism, the scrutiny, the razor of Tessa's inquiring mind slicing through the half-formed thoughts Nadia had about what was happening. But Tessa didn't even hesitate. I promise, she said. Nadia breathed deeply and exhaled slowly. Then, handing Tessa back her mittens, she pressed one hand against the side of her coat and with the other began to break the stitches, keeping the pocket shut. Then she reached into her pocket and pulled out a trombone. They spent the afternoon organizing tests in the biology department's student labs. It warmed Nadia's heart to see Tessa brimming with excitement, dressing her in one of Tessa's university-issued lab coats, while burbling about thermodynamics and conservation of mass. So, she beamed, if we weigh you with the lab coat pockets empty, and then you pull something out of your pocket and your weight equals Nadia plus object, 
then we have to suppose the object was somehow taken from elsewhere. Oh, Nadia frowned. She didn't like the thought that she was taking things from elsewhere. She didn't want them, after all. She'd come to think of the objects as intrusions in her life, not something she'd removed from someone or someplace else. If, on the other hand, Tessa continued, you pull something out of your pocket and your weight doesn't change, then the object must have somehow been deducted from your mass. Wait, what? Nadia stared. You mean like I'd be turning into trombones and fudge and maps that, that they're made out of me? <laughs> no, no, said Tessa laughing. Don't be silly. That'd be magic. But then... J just get on the scale, hon. Nadia did so, shuddering at the thought of shedding pieces of herself, one half-used tube of lipstick at a time. Are you still cold? asked Tessa sympathetically. No, I'm fine. Let's do this. Right, 70.534 kilograms. Tessa made a note. Now, pull something out. Nadia took a deep breath, closed her eyes, reached into the lab coat's pocket, and pulled out... Oh, uh, that's mine said Tessa hastily, plucking the tampon out of Nadia's hand. Crap, I'm always leaving stuff in there. Hand me the coat back. I'll take care of it. Nadia waited while Tessa retrieved two pens, another tampon, and a pair of safety specs from the pockets before handing the coat back. She put it back on, waited for Tessa to note her weight again, then slowly, carefully, reached into the lab coat. She felt about with her fingers until they brushed against something round and bumpy. Biting her lip, she pulled out an orange, studded with cloves, dry and fragrant. A pomander, said Tess, delighted. This is amazing. Okay, let's look at the scale. Nadia held her breath. She wondered if the weight of the soul could be reckoned in fruit and spice. You, my dear, have put on the weight of one pomander, Tessa grinned. I think we can safely deduce that this is a spatio-temporal issue and not a weird skin condition. Together, they determined that Nadia could only pull things out of the pockets she herself was wearing. That a coat draped over one shoulder apparently didn't count as wearing, after several separate tries, that objects did not vanish if put back in the pockets, and that after a pomander, an ocarina, an empty plastic bag, a dry peach pit, a drop spindle, a broken hockey stick, an empty fountain pen, a small gnome, and a pack of wooden playing cards they were no closer to learning where the objects were coming from, why they had started appearing in Nadia's pockets, or, most crucially, how to make them stop. The next generation of influential black voices 
can be found on NPR's new collection, Black Stories, Black Truths. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of Blackness from NPR. Each of NPR's Black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the Black experience itself. And every episode is a living account of what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective, from Bobby Shmurda to The Wire, Michelle Obama to reparations, there's no limit to the range of Black stories, Black truths. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Because stories should never be about us without us. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get podcasts. Hey, everybody. It's Rob Lowe here. If you haven't heard, I have a podcast that's called Literally with Rob Lowe. And basically, it's conversations I've had that really make you feel like you're pulling up a chair at an intimate dinner between myself and people that I admire, like Aaron Sorkin or Tiffany Haddish, Demi Moore, Chris Pratt, Michael J. Fox. There are new episodes out every Thursday. So subscribe, please, and listen wherever you get your podcasts. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Want to connect with a family member who doesn't speak your language? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning through an intuitive process. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. And with a lifetime membership, you have access to all 25 offered languages. Get started today. Visit rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 to get 50% off your lifetime membership now. That's rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 for 50% off. Now, let's get back to our story. Tessa, Nadia said finally, can we stop trying to figure out how this is happening and try to figure out why it's happening? Huh? Tessa blinked. But we are doing that. I mean, the one will lead to the other, eventually. But it's like figuring out the weather. Some days it rains or snows or is sunny, right? Sure. And if we didn't know about seasons or climate change or hot and cold fronts, the weather would seem pretty random, right? Right? So, think of this as a weather system of stuff. We're trying to figure out why they're coming out of your pockets, but until we find out how that's happening, what the variables are, we can't do much more than guesswork. Tessa. Nadia felt helpless. That makes perfect sense, but look, stuff is coming out of my pockets. I get that this has all kinds of really neat implications for, I don't know, science, but I just want to stop measuring things and think about it differently. Like, just 
take the weird thing as red and go on from there? Tessa frowned. How do you mean? Well, Nadia gestured to the accumulated objects which, rather than being in a heap as she'd have put them, were neatly labeled and organized by size for further examination. I keep thinking, what if it's a message? What if, however the stuff's ending up in my pockets, what if it's all part of a pattern and I'm just not seeing it? Or what if it's me? What if I woke up with this power one day and I'm supposed to be using it for good, to help people, but I can't because I've not figured it out? I just... The frustration made her throat ache. I found a gun in my pocket, Tessa. That has to mean something, doesn't it? Tessa grew quiet. Okay, I'm sorry. Must be weird to just have me treating you like a problem to be solved. Tell me what you'd like to do, and I'll listen. Nadia thought for a moment. Then she closed her eyes again and pulled out a rectangular cardboard box, the length of her forearm. There was a label on the front. Full scale S6032, Au Claire de la Lune, Opus 50. Variations at final, Lambert accentuated. Frowning, she lifted the lid. It's a pianola roll, said Tessa, standing on tiptoe to see into the box. I- I've seen Warda stacking them in the music department. Could we... She looked around the lab, not very hopeful of finding a player piano. Could we go there? Maybe see if we can play this? Tessa chewed her lip, but nodded. Sure. Warda had been the university's college support librarian for music for 26 years. She spoke English, Arabic, German, French, Swedish, and Russian. She played the piano and three kinds of flute. She had lived in four countries and fled two before settling. Tessa knew her from flute lessons. Nadia knew her from the occasional question or conversation about music history. Neither could imagine the library without her in it. Warda looked at the pianola roll curiously. We can certainly play it. It's in good condition, but may I ask why? It's a common tune. Nadia and Tessa exchanged a look. It's an experiment, said Tessa slowly. Nadia looked at Warda thoughtfully. I found it in a pocket, she said quietly, and saw something in Warda's expression of mild curiosity shift and tense. I don't know where it came from. I see, said Warda. May I? Nadia held out the roll to her. Warda took it with one hand and with the other held open the tiny knitted pocket of her cardigan. They watched as all twelve inches of the pianola roll vanished into the pocket without making so much as a bulge in the fabric. 
Warda poured tea for them in her office while Tessa asked question after question. When did this start? Oh, a year or so ago, give or take. And did you ever lose any of these things? Tessa showed her a list of things that had come out of Nadia's pockets, but Warda smiled and shook her head. No, none of those things ever belonged to me. I do not think any of the things I have put in my pockets have come out of Nadia's. I see why you are asking, but I don't think it works that way. Why not? asked Nadia. I suppose it just doesn't make sense to me that in all the world, ours would be the only two pockets connected to each other. Have you read Stoppard's Arcadia? We shed as we pick up, like travelers who must carry everything in their arms, and what we let fall will be picked up by those behind. There are so many of us, so many travelers. Thermodynamics, murmured Tessa. If you like, said Warda, stirring sugar into her tea. I think of it as leaks, leaks in the universe, and things that plug up those leaks. If one thing vanishes, another has to appear. But you don't know that, said Nadia, uncertainly. No, I just know that I carry my keys and wallet in a purse. And thank goodness for the paucity of pockets in women's clothing. She smiled, and Tessa chuckled, but Nadia said nothing. Warda offered her a mug of tea, gently. Shall I tell you more of how I think of it? Nadia nodded, accepting the mug, spreading her fingers around it and through its ear to absorb as much of its heat as she could. I had always wanted to write, said Warda. When I was a child, words, music, but it was not convenient. When this started happening, I began to write small things, notes, letters, I wrote hello in different languages. I wrote my email address. I wrote little rhymes. I would roll them up and put them in my pocket and hope that someone would receive them, read them, and want to find me. She chuckled into her tea. <laughs> it was a very romantic thought. But then I thought, no, it was not about me, ultimately. Or it was, but not as I'd imagined. I thought, if there is a leak in my pocket, perhaps someone else's pocket is the opposite. And I thought, perhaps when I write, when I create something out of the nothing, the everything, really, that is because somewhere else, someone else has a need, a leak. A hole in the pocket of their soul. And while I cannot be sure, perhaps my words are what will fill them up. So, I have written longer things, letters, 
stories, songs, whatever I feel moved to write, even if it's poor, shabby stuff. I put my writing in my pockets, and I hope for the best. But you never know, said Nadia again with an urgency. There's no way to know. What if I'm stealing things from other places without meaning to? What if I'm supposed to use these things somehow for something important? How? She exhaled loudly, frustrated. How can I know what it means? Well, said Warder, sipping her tea. It has been a year, and I have learned this very interesting thing. That I was right about someone else having the equal and opposite sort of pocket. Thanks to you, I know this. Warda smiled, put her hand on Nadia's arm. And we can only do our best with what we know. Tessa helped Nadia carry all the things that had come out of her pockets to Warda. They divided them up into things they wanted to keep and things they wanted to pass along. Tessa claimed the pomander. Nadia, after a moment's thought, kept the lipstick. Warda, biting her lip, took the map of Syria. After that, Beginning with the gun, which Nadia still couldn't quite bring herself to look at, they took turns slipping each item into the tiny, decorative, insufficient pocket of Warda's cardigan and watched as each was swallowed in turn by its fine green knit. Tessa hugged Nadia as they parted outside the library. Looking at her carefully, she said, Do you want to borrow my mittens? <laughs> no thanks, said Nadia, smiling a little. I think I'll be okay. And as if to prove her point, she slid her hands into the pockets of her coat. Once Tessa left, Nadia took a deep breath, closed her eyes, and closed her hand around something. It crinkled in her hand. She pulled out a piece of lined paper with writing on it in blue ink, smoothing it down as best she could with her thinly gloved hands. She began to read. She read, I don't know you, but I wish I did. I wish I could tell you how much I love you. Love your eyes for reading this. Love your hands for holding my words. I wish I could tell you in a way you would understand that so long as you read this, the world is not so terrible a place. That so long as we speak to each other, so long as there is love in the movement of a pen over paper and love in the movement of eyes over words, we will be all right. We will know each other. We will learn each other like songs. Know nothing else of me but that I love you. That I love you as one can only love the unknown, conjured by address. That as I speak to you, I am inventing you. And that as you read me, you are inventing me. 
and that this is keenly, unspeakably beautiful. Know that whatever else you may be, you are beloved completely, unconditionally by me in this space, in this moment, and that this space and this moment will endure ever and always for as long as you read this. I wrote this for you, for only you, for you alone out of the millions. I love you. Thank you. Okay, full disclosure. Amel El Mokhtar is one of my favorite writers right now. Um, I love this woman, and, um, and I love the way she writes. Because every time I read a story by Amel, um, I am compelled to think about the world in a way different from I've ever thought about the world before. And here's the thing about Amel's writing. Like that letter that Nadia reads at the end, I get the sense that she is writing just for me. That the insights that, that she brings as a storyteller, that, that, they are, that they are ideas, that they are thoughts, that the feelings that her words inspire have been designed to penetrate directly to me and that I need them at the very moment that I'm reading them. That she has this ability as a storyteller to give me a gift every time I read her work. And it miraculously or not happens to be exactly what I need in that moment. It reminds me of... um, the concept of faith. You know, I was raised Catholic, and in, I suppose, all religions, the concept of faith is really present in the dogma that you have to, in order to do it right, religion, that is. Uh, it's, it's important to have unquestioning faith, or at least have some sort of faith, even in the absence of knowing right? And Nadia has this desire to know what's going on, as would any of us, I think. But what I love about this story is that, at least in my view, at the end, Nadia is okay with not knowing the why or even the how, that she's content in the faith that it's all okay and purposeful. And then she gets confirmation. She gets rewarded for that faith with the letter she gets at the end. A letter that affirms for her the, the, the thing that I think we all want in our lives. To feel love and be loved. That's the 
That's the greatest gift, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's the, it's the stuff they write songs about and plays about and, and stories about. And it, yeah, it, it can feel and seem hackneyed and cliched and trite. Yes, to love and be loved is, you know, yada, 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 yada. But when you peel all that stuff away at its very core, that is the truth. It's the only reason to be here, to explore that idea of loving and being loved in spite of all of the distraction, all of the reasons to not be in love or demonstrate love. And there are many every day to keep coming back to that idea, I think is the is the measure of our humanity. Yeah, when we, when, 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 when we lose sight of the individual and the meaning of, of one-on-one contact, right? One-on-one understanding, relating to, you know, one person in their wholeness, bringing your wholeness to that moment. When we fail to do that enough, we, are, we become successful at dehumanizing people. That's been a large part of our problem in this country. From its inception, America has been able to dehumanize the other and stopped acknowledging the value of the individual. And this is very different from the American concept of... of uh, you know, individual exceptionalism. It's, it's not that at all. It's more like individual acceptance, individual embrace, embracing the, the individual. And when we do that, when we create the space and the grace to just accept the individual on a moment-by-moment basis, it becomes impossible to dehumanize. Because when, when soul meets soul, the only outcome is love. When soul meets soul, only love is possible and present. So we just need a little more soul to soul contact, y'all. Which is, I'm not going to lie to you, it it takes practice. (laughs) It definitely takes practice. But boy, what a a thing to strive for. hmm? Soul to soul contact. Resulting in love. All 
Our producer on this episode of LeVar Burton Reads is Julia Smith, the best in the business, y'all. And we have a new researcher this season. That's Lakeisha Lewis. So glad you are aboard, my sister. And our editing and sound design is by the extraordinary Brendan Burns. My thanks to Amel El Mokhtar for allowing me to read her story today. Amel's multiple award-winning novella is called This Is How You Lose the Time War, and it's available now. You can also subscribe to her newsletter at amal.substack.com. That's amal.substack, S-U-B-S-T-A-C-K dot com. And as always, if you enjoy the podcast, please recommend an episode to a friend who you think might enjoy it. You can also leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. And why not include a story suggestion for us? We love them. We read them. We use them. And if you would prefer to listen to episodes ad-free and listen to exclusive bonus author interviews, you can do that on Stitcher Premium. Go to stitcherpremium.com slash LeVar to start your free trial. LeVar Burton Reads is a production of Stitcher and LeVar Burton Entertainment. Our executive producers are Chris C.B. Bannon, Josephine Maharana, she's the boss, and yours truly, LeVar Burton. And I am... LeVar Burton. You can find me on Twitter at LeVar Burton and LeVarBurton.com on Instagram. I will see you all next time, but you don't have to take my word for it. Stitcher. Hey, everybody. It's Rob Lowe here. If you haven't heard, I have a podcast that's called Literally with Rob Lowe. And basically, it's conversations I've had that really make you feel like you're pulling up a chair at an intimate dinner between myself and people that I admire, like Aaron Sorkin or Tiffany Haddish, Demi Moore, Chris Pratt, Michael J. Fox, There are new episodes out every Thursday, so subscribe, please, and listen wherever you get your podcasts. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style, and you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.